Welcome to this brand new episode of What the Actual F. <laughs> it feels great to say that because it's been a little while. I kind of was MIA for the last few weeks as I've been dealing with a move, I was going through a breakup, it was a real heavy time for me. But I'd like to say welcome to the first episode in my new home. Everything for a little while may be kind of off and wonky as I get used to the sounds, where I should record best, and just kind of get this back on track. However, that's not going to stop me from bringing you tales of the truly twisted, the increasingly incredibly morbid, and of course every once in a while the bizarre conspiracy that's going to leave you thinking, okay Harmony, <laughs> step away from the tinfoil hat and step outside. Get some fresh air, you know, just step away from the internet and think about reality and how sometimes these things aren't true. Or are they? Nonetheless, join me here every week. Okay, I try every week, doesn't mean I'm always here, but usually I am. And I will share with you a tale of the bizarre, the macabre, the fucking terrifying, and of course, everything else in between. Like what I have for you today. Listen, this story is really, really fucked up. I have no other way of describing it to you. In fact, I think the only other way I could go is stomach churning. For this story, we are gonna head down under. This is a case right out of Australia of psychopathy, of hatred, of the most unthinkable violence because of some sort of revenge. This is by far one of the most disturbing sequences of events that have happened in a case that I have ever just laid witness on that I read and exposed my mind to and was just like, what the fuck? People do this? People do- people- someone did this. And you know what? It is now your turn to hear what someone did. You know how sometimes you like taste or smell something that just makes you go, I can't do that ever again, don't like that. Well, the story of Catherine Knight and her really twisted ways and what she did to somebody is gonna leave a real taste in your mouth. No pun intended. Or maybe all the pun intended. You know what? You'll see. They don't call her the butcher of Australia for nothing. The 1st of March 2000 is etched on the minds of the people of Aberdeen, Australia, forever. Never before, and really never again, has there been a crime of this nature actually perpetrated by a woman in, in Australia. She's disgraceful, I can't, I can't comprehend what she's done. A murder so inexplicably heinous, it still affects all of the officers called to the scene to this day. Nothing could prepare you for what you were about to see. Whatever had done this, it was obviously uh, a monster and we had, to, we had to do something, we had to somehow finish it. Catherine Mary Knight was brought into this world and into a family that was already filled with plenty of chaos. Catherine entered this world on October 5th of 1955 in New South Wales. From the very moment her eyes opened, it seemed as though the world was against her. Catherine was the product of an affair. Her mother, Barbara, and her father, Ken Knight, they had already had four sons. 
and she had actually met him through her former husband, who wasn't the dad of those kids. This conservative town that they lived in, they were <gasps> mortified by such an affair. Ken was less of a husband and a father and more of a barbaric ass face. He was extremely violent and an alcoholic who raped Barbara multiple times a day and then brutally beat the rest of the family as well. Not exactly a real good guy. Not at all. No. Mm -mm. Barbara even frequently discussed the details of the rape that she experienced with her children and told them how much she hated men, you know, because they were horrific and that she despised sex because of her experience, which she had every right to feel, but I mean, <laughs> telling your young and impressionable children these things, I don't know about that. Now, Catherine was reportedly horrifically sexually assaulted by numerous family members, but not her father. This not until she was 11 years old. I wish I could have said he didn't do it at all, but not according to reports. All of this tragic upbringing led her to have an extremely horrific, lifelong distrust of men and just disdain toward them, which I'm sure you can understand if you had several men holding you down and sticking their penises in near and around you without your consent, pretty sure you probably wouldn't like them either. Again, not exactly a reason for her to carry out with what she does, but that means she definitely needed to talk to somebody. With her home life steeped in horrible, just tragic nature and fear, instability, and the complete lack of control over any of these circumstances, Kathy became a notorious school bully who frequently picked on any child who was just even slightly smaller than her. You know, she needed to get that rage and anger out somehow, and why not while bullying other people? Because that's what we do as humans, we blow out other people's lights so that we can feel better. That's what she did. She even once attacked somebody with a knife and a teacher had to break up the fight and this teacher got injured in the process because Kathy gave no fucks. What makes you think I won't cut you? At age 15, Kathy dropped out of school, never really learning how to fully read and write. So she took up a job at a local clothing store. A year later, she actually ended up nabbing her dream job. Oh my god, what was it? Something incredible, right? Like, oh my god, I'm so excited. What was it? What was it? She was working at a slaughterhouse. Just, she was removing the inner organs of animals. <sighs> oh my god, that sounds super, super. That sounds super. That sounds, that sounds fantastic. I'm throwing up for a completely unrelated reason. You see? Kathy loved chopping up animals. She really did, but most of all, she loved working with knives. So much so that she hung her very first set of butcher knives over her bed. That seems safe. I mean, I hope she's not having any wild sex at all because someone's gonna get cut. However, she had them there because you never knew when she was gonna need them. And, you know, a little bit of foreshadowing. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. It's really fucked up. I'm just uncomfortable. It's okay. <laughs> You're gonna be too. The gentleman's head had been located. So we're looking for that. A woman driven to kill in a way that defies comprehension. She's been branded a danger to the community, capable of murdering anyone who crosses her. Oh, there's a pot on the stove. I think I might have even said, so I'll give you one guess where the head is. I didn't eat meat for about three months. The despicable crime committed by Catherine Mary Knight stuns the whole nation and leaves everyone searching for a reason 
making this a crime that shook Australia. Listen, I'm going to give you a little bit of TMI right here, but let me just say something. As a grown-ass woman, almost 40 years old, I'll be 37 this year, let me just go ahead and tell you something. As somebody who as a child dealt with a lot of horrific sexual abuse, and then continued to rely on toxic treatment and toxic relationships as growing. I can tell you that it's really, really difficult to have a healthy view of relationships and sex when you've been sexually assaulted multiple times. But for Catherine, I cannot even imagine. The multiple times that she was assaulted, the amount of times her father raped her mother, and then with her mother just telling her a slew of horrific events and rapes that have happened to her as well. I'm sure that Kathy did not really find any funness in her heart for the male species. However, she did still try to find love. She's not a monster. I mean, she is, but... <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. Either she was trying to find Mr. Right or Mr. Right now so she could fucking kill him. The jury's still out, although we, we do kind of have an answer. In 1973, Kathy met a co-worker by the name of David. David Kellett. Kellett? 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 Kellett. <clears throat> Listen, I'm not good with names sometimes from other countries, especially when I can only rely on people with accents to say them, and I don't have that same accent, and I'm not going to try to. So we're going to call him David. Now they entered into a relationship together and she promptly gained control of the relationship because she was so domineering. In every single way, she controlled him. Now it's not like David was exactly the best all the time. He did frequently get into bar fights and Kathy would step in to back her hard, hard heavy drinking boyfriend. You wanna go kick his ass? You better say that to his face. Yeah, baby, you got this. Mm. Yeah, kick his ass, Seabass. I'm sorry, what was his name? David, kick his ass, David. Sorry, I'm sorry. Whenever I say kick his ass, all I hear is kick his ass, Seabass from Dumb and Dumber. It's it's forever cursed in my mind. Now, Kathy didn't fear any big, powerful man at all. I guess there's something to be said about surviving horrific, traumatizing events. Things don't scare you like they once would. Over time, Kathy eventually gained a reputation for threatening violence anytime anyone upset her. In 1974, the couple were married. This was actually done at Kathy's request, not really because David was like, oh my god, I love you so much, let's get married. More like she insisted. So they showed up at a ceremony on a motorcycle and David was very, very drunk. Instead of sharing any heartfelt advice or guidance or even congratulating, Kathy's mom told him this. You better watch this one or she's gonna fucking kill you. You stir her up the wrong way or do the wrong thing and you are fucked. Don't ever think of playing up on her. David, she'll fucking kill you. Barbara, by the way, Kathy's mom also added, yeah, <laughs> she's got a screw loose up there somewhere. Oh my God. <laughs> What great advice to start a marriage on. This just sounds like it can only go <clears throat> down. Ain't no going up, sorry. No, this is not a tale of redemption. Because after all, this story is gonna leave you thinking, wow, romance is dead. And so is David. And again, there was a little bit of foreshadowing because on their wedding night, albeit extremely memorable, Kathy tried to strangle David that night because he was only able to have intercourse with her three times. And then he fell asleep and that pissed her off. Jesus, Kathy, calm it down. Gonna start a fucking fire down there. 
I knew that he was a hard worker and a reliable man, so it was, was a bit unusual for him not to turn up for work and not to make a phone call. I went up, saw it, knocked on the door, uh, didn't get an answer, saw some blood on the door there. Looked through a little gap into the lounge room, which was dark, reasonably dark, and saw what looked like a bunched up curtain hanging down. Okay, I kind of misled you. David doesn't get killed by Kathy. However, that doesn't mean this isn't a marriage made in hell. The new Mr. and Mrs. weren't exactly the happiest. Kathy was incredibly vindictive, extremely jealous, and very, very violent. Somewhere along the way in this marriage, the couple had made the absolute horrific decision, and they decided to have a child together. And you know what? Maybe this could have been good for Kathy, becoming a mother or getting pregnant, really making her sort of calm down. Mm-mm, that didn't happen at all. While Kathy was still very much pregnant, she decided to burn all of David's clothes and shoes and then started beating him up with a frying pan. In fear for his life, he fled to a neighbor's house where he collapsed from an extremely badly fractured skull. Somehow, Kathy, now behaving with, you know, glowing behavior and acting all kinds of, I'm an expecting mother, it's my hormones, I'm so sorry. She actually convinced David not to press charges on her. The couple's daughter, Melissa, was born in 1976. Shortly after this though, David was like, you know what, I need to get out of this while I still can. And he pulled the ripcord, left Kathy for another woman, which of course Kathy was like, I don't fucking think so, bitch. Legitimately, no joke, the day after David told Kathy that it was over, finished, finito, no more relationship, we are done. Kathy was spotted pushing their daughter, little Melissa, in a baby carriage down Main Street, violently rocking the carriage from side to side, slamming it against the walls and fences. Thanks to this horrific behavior, she was admitted to St. Elmo's Hospital and diagnosed with postpartum depression. Do you think maybe like a little bit of sprinkle of psychopathy on there? Maybe just like a little bit? Tiny bit? Anyways, after she spent several weeks in the hospital, she was released. And immediately it became clear that this little stay in the psych ward did nothing to help improve any part of her mental health. Just a day after she was released, she would take her two-month daughter to some railroad tracks and then place her on them. She then stole an axe, meandered all around town, and threatened the lives of several people. Melissa was found and rescued from the railroad tracks by a man. And this was done just moments, by the way, before a train would have killed her. Kathy was arrested and sent back to St. Elmo's Hospital again. However, she was like, yeah, fuck you guys, and signed herself out the next day. Days later, Kathy grabbed her prize knife collection and slashed a woman in the face, and then she demanded that she drive her to Queensland. Yeah, because she wanted to go find David. The woman, however, was able to escape from Kathy's psychotic grip. Police were forced to disarm Kathy because she was absolutely in a rage and she was immediately admitted into a psychiatric hospital. The depths of Kathy's depravity, her jealousy, her vindictiveness, and her anger shocked all of those who worked at the hospital. They listened as this patient told them how she was planning to kill David. You know, she was going to actually like do something to his car so that it would make him die. And then she also planned on killing his mother as well. 
She was super, super twisted. In fact, upon learning about this, David and his mother fled along with his new girlfriend to Aberdeen. I will say that they did get back together. They also had a second child together, Natasha Marie. However, four years after this, Kathy would leave David and soon she would find her next victim. And if you thought that was bad, just wait for this guy. This poor man never stood a chance. I walked around the side, there was a piece of meat just lying on the, on the ground and anyway, uh, went around the back, broke in through the back door. As we went in, I saw straight ahead of me the, um, what I thought was a curtain. There was something hanging, uh, blocking my entry into the hallway of the house. I, I thought it, it looked like a some type of blanket or uh, some sort of covering that had been placed up on the uh, on the archway. So I, I, I remember I used my left hand to push it aside and immediately I could feel coldness coming on my left arm. So I, I looked down and my left arm was just covered in blood. In 1986, Catherine Knight met her victim, I'm sorry, her new man. David Saunders was a minor and the two fell madly in love during a whirlwind courtship. And within months, he moved in with Kathy and her two children. However, Kathy began to get furious because he decided to keep his apartment even though he was like living with her. She became jealous and suspicious and the couple's relationship soon took a horrific turn. Kathy, who was never one to suppress her true emotions and feelings and her evil, vile nature. She got so mad one time and so angry at him that she slit the throat of his two-month-old dingo puppy right in front of him just to show her what she was capable of and not to fuck with her. What a horrible fucking human. The couple, however, stayed together after this and they even welcomed a baby girl. Following the birth of their daughter, Sarah, they put a deposit down on a house, which Kathy paid off with workers' compensation. And in true psychotic fashion, she decorated the family's new home with animal skins, horns, skulls, and rusty animal traps, leather jackets, old boots, machetes, rakes, and of course, pitchforks. That is so welcoming. Love it. I myself am a spoopy bitch, but that just seems very borderline serial killer. One day in 1989, Kathy got into an argument with her fella and uh, she retaliated by hitting him in the face with an iron and then stabbing him with a pair of scissors. Mr. Saunders was like, yeah, fuck this bitch. He moved out really quickly and returned to his apartment that he kept only to find that Kathy had cut his clothes into pieces. Months later, he returned again to visit his daughter, but Kathy had been granted to, uh, you know, like have visiting orders against him because of violence. So basically, he really couldn't. She was really manipulative. Then in 1990, Kathy would become pregnant by a 43-year-old co-worker, John Chillingworth. The following year, she then gave birth to a son, Eric. Side note, John Chillingworth is the only relationship that was in a romantic variety that Kathy had that didn't include any outrageous acts of violence. John did leave Kathy three years into their relationship when he discovered that she was having a, uh, an affair. An affair with a man by the name of John Price. 
this isn't confusing that there's two Davids and two Johns. How do you think I feel? It's very confusing, guys. I'm the one telling the story and I have my notes to guide me and so confusing. But here we are. We are at the true victim of the tale, Mr. John Price. Initially, I thought I'd injured myself breaking through the back door, so I couldn't understand why my arm was bleeding. As Graham and Scott try to locate the missing man, they are suddenly faced with the most horrific scene ever to be witnessed. I realised then it was a, a human pelt. It was the skin minus the head. A full skin just hanging from the, from the top of the door frame. Looked past it and uh, saw a torso on the ground without a head and without any genitalia. And uh, I think my first reaction then was to turn around to Scotty and say, don't look, Scotty. Of course, that's the worst thing you could say. Now, Kathy's relationship with John Price started out pretty normal. The couple decided to live together in 1995. John was the father of two older children who lived with him, and they seemed to like Kathy. John's job as a minor was sufficient to keep Kathy pretty comfortable in her life. Kathy's comfort, however, didn't last very long. When she asked John to marry her, he just declined. Like, no, that's not really my thing, I'm sorry. Of course, you can probably guess how Kathy reacted to this. It was rejection in her eyes. By the time that John had actually hooked up with Kathy, he was well aware of her horrific reputation. And you know what? Maybe for some reason, he thought that he could just fix her. And I kind of understand how he's feeling. We like to believe that maybe our love and what we have to offer can make somebody better. Stop it. Don't do that. Usually nobody will change because you care and love them. Mm -mm, they gotta change because they want to. However, we don't really know why he thought that he should give it a go with her, but it didn't really pan out too well. Nonetheless, I don't think that John expected that falling in love with Kathy would have the consequences that it did. When Kathy couldn't convince John to marry her, she just began stealing money from him. She did this so that she could purchase her own engagement ring for herself. And when she approached him and was like, look what you got me, baby, I said yes. However, he was like, I don't know what the fuck you said yes to or why you're wearing a ring, you crazy lady. I do not want to marry you. Can you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? And no, she could not because next she was going to attack his livelihood. I looked through, I could look through there from there into the, the lounge room and I saw what appeared to be you know, a human being or what was left. And so it was at that point that I, I'd realized, you know, what had happened. Kathy knew that John had been stealing expired first aid kits out of the trash at work. So she decided to try to control him and manipulate him by reporting him. After 17 years on this job, John was fired. Of course, John was fucking pissed, so he kicked Kathy out and to the curb. But like every other man in her past, they got back together just a few months later. There was a great deal of arguing during this time. 
Even though they got back together, for some reason, Kathy was determined to make his life miserable. For some reason, she was like, I'm just gonna destroy everything about you. Side note, if you're with somebody that you hate and you feel the need to do this, break the fuck up. That is not a relationship. Get out, run, leave. Your partner should be your best friend, somebody you make smile, somebody that you wanna see happy, and somebody who does the same for you. It is not a pissing match. You should not destroy each other. You should not be okay hurting the other person. That is not okay, not good, don't do it. But Kathy, as we know, gave zero fucks about anybody at all, and maybe not even herself, I don't know. So she tried to take control of the house, which John owned. She also fought with his children and even lied to their friends and his co-workers, saying that David molested her daughters. Out here dating a man that she is spreading rumors is doing horrific things to her kids. It's not true, wasn't true, but she just wanted to see this man fucking burn while still dating him. If that's not sending mixed signals, I don't know what is. During one particularly heated argument, Kathy, per usual, gets one of her little stabby stabs and does this to John. Finally realizing the level of danger that he was putting himself in, he filed for a restraining order against Kathy on February 29th of 2000. But in the process, he was told that this could take several weeks. We know how the court system works. That exact same day, John warned his friends and all of his co-workers that if he didn't show up for work the next morning, it was because Kathy had killed him. And guess fucking what? If you guess that she killed him, you are... You're correct. Yeah, you're correct. Absolutely. Spoilers. <laughs> but it's so fucked up. On the table, there was a couple of plates. And had meals where he prepared and vegetables and meat cooked, sitting there. Sergeant Furlong, who was talking to him, he was saying, look, it's going to be all right. We've got to keep going. We've got to finish this. We've got to do whatever it takes. He was talking to me and I'm trying to hear if there's, I could hear anybody else because sometimes a little bit under stress, you get that auditory exclusion and, and, and you're not hearing things. You're just focused on the threat. It was quite a frightening experience, but once you've stepped into that, uh, situation, you, you, there's just no backing out. This brings us to the night of February 29th. John knew that Kathy wanted him dead, but love and hormones are a crazy, crazy thing. On the night of February 29th, 2000, the very same day that John applied for his protective order, Kathy went over to his house. The two ended up having sex, and then immediately after, John fell asleep. Side note, to anyone out there, if you think whoever you are dating is a little bit buku bananas, don't fuck them. Sorry, if your goal though is to break up or maybe, you know, protect yourself from them, don't put your penis inside of them. Or if you're a girl, don't wrap your lips around it. Seriously, y'all. <laughs> Be safe out there. So, back to the night of this gruesome, horrific murder. Cappy went to his house, they did a little devil's tango, and then he fell asleep. And we know how much Cappy just loves it when you fall asleep on her. Girl is insatiable, and if you are <coughs> chopping wood, how, how are you gonna insatiate her? Kathy grabs one of her recently sharpened knives, 
and plunged the blade deep into her sleeping partner. John immediately jumped out of the bed and ran out of the house in absolute terror. But Crazy Kathy, ooh, I like that. Crazy Kathy overpowered him and stabbed him more than 37 times. I mean, if you ask me, anything over 30 is just a little bit too much. Now, when Kathy was stabbing him all of this excessive amount of times, this was nothing compared to the brutal plan that she was about to execute. She was about to become one of the most notorious killers in all of Australian history, and the most notorious female killer ever in the country. Kathy was a very, very skilled butcher, at least of animals. And John's lifeless body was about to become her very first human project. First, she skinned John and hung the skin from a hook in the living room. He was skinned post-mortem, thank God for that small act of kindness from her. Then she decapitated him and tossed his head into a pot and cooked it with some vegetables. Kathy cooked several other parts of his body, including his booty cheeks, and he served them as steak along with vegetables on plates with a baked potato and some gravy. She was planning on serving the meals to his children. She also placed the food on two separate plates on a table along with handwritten, very spiteful notes. And even with all of this, Kathy wasn't done. After Kathy set up this horrific dinner, complete with place cards for his children, she then positioned the rest of John's skin body on his favorite chair, crossing his legs as well. Although Kathy slaughtered and cooked her fella, she herself didn't actually eat any of him. Sensing how much trouble she was going to be in, she instead decided to try and take a handful of pills, you know, to try to like unalive herself. In a true cowardly fashion, she didn't want to face the consequences for her crime. She then laid down beside the headless skin corpse of her lover and passed out. But she didn't die. Two nights before he was killed, they'd had a row. She'd held a knife up at him and he fled the house thinking that she's going to stab him. And he went over the road to his mates and said, you know, she's come at me with a knife. The next day, the police rocked back up to Pricey's with an AVO that they, by law, had to take out on her behalf because she had called the police and she had accused him of being violent toward her. Fortunately for John's children, they never had a chance to dine on their father. They had actually been gone the previous night and hadn't even yet returned home. When a neighbor noticed that John's car was still in the driveway and he hadn't gone to work, the neighbor knocked on the door just to check on him because this was completely unusual. No one answered and the neighbor noticed that there was some blood and this is when they were like, you know what, I'm gonna go ahead and call the police because this is just sending some sort of creepy signals. I think someone needs to check this out. And that, as you know, is the audio the police actually did go through. The audio that you heard is actual detectives that walked into the house to see this horrific crime scene. They saw a human pelt, a decapitated body, completely skinned, and of course this sleeping murderer, along with other just 
traumatizing things. Now, when Kathy came to, she claimed to have no memory of the crime. However, she would still stand trial in October of 2001, but suddenly she would change her plea to guilty and she would be sentenced to life in prison. This would be known as the first Australian woman to ever receive this sentence. Cannibal Catherine Knight's reign of terror was over. Now, Catherine is somewhere in her 60s and is currently serving a sentence at Silverwater Women's Correctional Center. I would like to talk about Kathy and the psychology of her because she was diagnosed with something that I was recently diagnosed with and something that is often given a seriously bad rap. And that is BPD. Oh, look, um... I don't think that's useful to Susanna. I mean, not... Uh, what borderline business? See, the, the mind... Borderline what? Is the Borderline between what and what? Melvin. It's a condition, Susanna. And it's called borderline personality disorder. Oh, God. It's not uncommon, especially among young women. What causes it? We're, we're really not sure. Is it genetic? Oh, Christ. It is five times more common among those with a borderline parent. I can't, I can't do this. I'm sorry, I can't. I can't do this. While Kathy was facing trial, she was interviewed by three psychiatrists. This was done in order to determine her sanity. All the doctors agreed that Kathy was sane and knew what she was doing on the night of John's murder, but they diagnosed her with borderline personality disorder, commonly referred to as BPD. BPD is a serious mental illness that centers on the inability to manage one's emotions effectively. I know this because I too am diagnosed with it. And as somebody who has it, let me tell you, it's terrifying. I can't tell you that the world is going to be okay if I'm sad because it feels all ending. When I'm mad, it's not good. But when I'm happy, nothing can touch me. The thing is, it's a personality disorder and it's caused by trauma. People who are often diagnosed with BPD experience some form of horrific trauma as their mind is forming, you know, their personality. Being such a young age with an impressionable mind, not understanding things that they're being exposed to and the trauma that they are enduring, their mind sort of takes them to another place. As their physical body is enduring the abuse or the trauma that they will forever be haunted by, their mind is secretly hiding them. This way, they can get through the abuse or the trauma without being harmed. Our bodies are resilient and will do anything to survive. But years down the road, that trauma turns into demons and comes out as BPD. The disorder can be caused by really any number of things. They include emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, loss, neglect, and even bullying at to extreme extents. Not just like, I got picked on a little bit at school. I'm talking about the fact that you were afraid to literally go to school. This is considered prolonged trauma abuse. Your brain is basically stuck in consistent fight or flight. Now, some people are more likely to develop BPD. This is due to their biological genetic makeup. And of course, once you add in any sort of harmful childhood experiences, this increases the risk. Due to intense internal emotional conflict, someone with BPD might take unnecessary risks. They have intense mood swings. 
and suffer from bouts of anger, depression, and severe anxiety. They may have difficulty managing daily tasks at home, performing at work, or even maintaining any form of any relationship, romantic or not. This means familial and friendly. Living with BPD is a task in and of itself. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, and suicidal thoughts and suicidal attempts all often accompany BPD. In the past, it was believed that BPD was nearly impossible to treat, but today we know that is not true. Although extremely difficult to treat, an individual who sincerely wants to get better can have great success in doing so with the help of therapy and oftentimes medication. I currently have a therapist, Sup Nawal. Love you, you're the real MVP. And if you have BPD and you don't know what to do, get a therapist, start there. Just get some help, I promise. Your mind is controlling a lot of you, and I know that sounds crazy, but with BPD, that's not always the best. Nonetheless, this is what Kathy was diagnosed with. I'm gonna be real with you guys. BPD has a very bad rep, and it's, well, it's earned that. Hollywood has turned BPD, or what was once known as DID and multiple personality disorder, into some sort of evil, romanticized mental illness. But as somebody who lives with it, let me tell you, there is no romanticizing this illness. There is nothing great about it. I have lost, burned down, and exploded relationships in my life. I have tried to unalive myself. I have thoughts on the daily of that because my mind cannot be controlled correctly. Not all times. BPD is a curse, a struggle, and a hard fucking life to live. And I say that because BPD isn't like anything normal when it comes to life. Your head rules your perception of reality. And with BPD, that perception is glitched, it's twisted, and it's fucked. And more often than not, we need help remembering that. Something Kathy never received. Well, nonetheless, the story of Catherine Knight is heinous. It's horrific and it is due to her mental illness, her trauma, and her inability to talk to somebody, to reach out, and to try to get help. Living a violent lifestyle is not normal. Not being able to handle your emotions is not normal. Having extreme jealousy mood swings is not normal. Trying to stab, attack, and kill people is not normal. Nothing about Kathy was normal. Nothing about Kathy was okay. And sadly, John paid the price. I swear I didn't mean that with a pun because his name was John Price, it just happened that way. But that was the tale of Catherine Knight. Warning, what you are about to hear is a simulation. This audio contains sensitive content that may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. This is a simulation. I wake up with the sense of dread. How is today gonna go? How are my moods gonna be? How are people in my life going to act towards me? How am I going to perceive people? Are they just being nice to me because they want something? Are they being condescending? Are they just pretending to care like everyone else? No one really loves me. How could they? I don't even love myself. They tolerate me because I'm nice to them and because I help them if needed. They can ask me to do anything and I will do it. I just want them to like me. I want everyone to like me. I mean, why would anyone be mean to me? I go above and beyond for everyone. People are so ungrateful. Wait, they haven't heard back from me yet. They didn't answer my text. They're avoiding me. They hate me. I've ruined a good relationship again. I'm such a terrible person. I can't handle them being mad at me. I'm so stupid. Why can't I just be normal and get along with everyone? Oh.
Never mind, they texted me back. I'm just going to text them about something funny and unrelated and see if they respond. This is just a glimpse at what goes through my head in a regular day. My life is a series of never-ending questions, judgments, and reactions. It has nothing to do with anyone else. And yet, at the same time, everything to do with them. If Borderline is a part of your story, know that your feelings are valid and that the way you experience the world is real. You are not alone. Okay, so yes, this story started out all about cannibalistic Catherine Knight, although she didn't actually eat anybody. She just prepared him for somebody. Others, many others actually, his children in fact. So fucking twisted, man. Her, her story, this whole case is really twisted. And well, I put a little bow on it and shared it with you. What the fuck, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. Left you just sitting there like, that's disgusting. And it happened, okay. And that is what you get to look forward to on here what the actual left this podcast which i think is well sufficiently titled because that was a tale of what the actual leftness anyways guys i hope you enjoyed the story of katherine knight as macabre as it is remember if you're struggling with any mental illness issues if your noggin is having a hard time working against you or you know bpd anxiety depression everything else under the sun please don't ever hesitate to reach out and get help there is a pause there and I don't know why I can't edit it out for some reason. My uh, technology that I have is like, nah, we can't erase the last two seconds, sorry. <laughs> so, sorry, enjoy that silence, my apologies. Nonetheless, please, if you are struggling, get help. There is an abundance, an array, so many things out there, so many people, just reach out. Hell, send me a message. You can email me at what's the actual EFF harmony at gmail.com. I am no professional, but I will listen. Also, if you have a story of the twisted nature or a case, anything you want me to look into, send that my way as well. I would also like to thank so many of you because of this breakup and this move. So many of you have reached out and just send me such kind, sweet messages. I love you guys more than words can ever describe. Promise I would never cook you up and turn you into a pelt and try to serve you to your kids because I love you too much. I mean, I am a little cuckoo because of my BPD and when I love people, I can be a little bit obsessive. Anyways, enough about me and my craziness. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. As much as the stories that I have for you on these episodes are twisted, full of the macabre and the horrific, I hope that our time we spend together leaves you feeling better than it did when you arrived. You know, odd thing to say when I tell you such really grim things. But that doesn't mean I don't love you and I don't hope that you have a wonderful day, a wonderful week, a wonderful month, a wonderful year, and a wonderful life. So our time has come to an end this week. I love you so, 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 so much. Remember, check out any suspicious meat you may eat in the future. If someone's serving you dinner, maybe ask them, what is this made of? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you take a bite first. What a time to not be a meat eater. Am I right? Air high five. All of you out there who eat meat are like, shut up, Harmony. All right, sorry, I'll shut up. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Love you guys. Stay safe. 